Hey everybody, this is Tommy Castro. I want to thank you for listening to KAAD-LP 103.5 FM on your radio dial. This is the Enigma Hour with Captain Tiki and Captain Dave. We're back. Oh, I got the wrong mic on. Go, Captain Dave. Reporting for duty. Reporting for duty, yes. Every Thursday, 10 p.m. to midnight. It's really bad hours. Over here on KDLP, 103.5 FM, Sonora. Yes. Listen to the music. It's your friend. I know it's a bit of a ripoff, but I really do like this song. It's a good remix. Yeah, so you've, you've reached the Enigma Hour. It's actually two hours, our personal joke. Hey. Yes, uh, tonight we're going to explore another one of Life's Little Mysteries. Well, now, before we get our, our special guest who's patiently waiting on the phone and is rocking out to this, I tried to post the, the dang show on SoundCloud to push it out to the podcast people and everything. And I only had like half the show. Yeah, I, uh, you said that the part when we were talking to the spirits with the spirit box had mysteriously disappeared. You thought yeah. they had ghosted us. They ghosted us. The, the entire second hour was gone. Thank goodness I had a backup. So we'll get that out like tomorrow. Uh, but yeah, it was literally the entire second hour was had vanished. 
I was that's a where we pissed. got to know Leanne, our resident our, spirit. One of our residents. I think we got about 10 of them total. Yeah, you could uh, hear them swirling around. Oh, yeah. I think they were all fighting for the mic. Well, and I got to tell you, like, when we got done, you know, it, it was weird. It was like, how do I explain it? It was like we were completely and utterly, like, exhausted, both of us. I don't think I've slept that good in a while. It was unreal. I forgot to put in our background music. Just turn that down low. Yeah. Set the mood. All right. So I'm going to turn that down. I'm going to bring in our special guest, Mr. Lobo. Can you hear me? Greetings, my friends. This is Mr. Lobo. Are you receiving me? I am receiving you loud and clear, Mr. Lobo. Yes, we're hearing you. Over. I've got to tell you, Mr. Lobo, you are our very first guest on the show. And what a better guest. uh, You couldn't get a better guest to have, really. So Dave's excited. Yeah, I am, because I grew up in the late 50s, early 60s, and I was right in the middle of the monster craze. Uh, little kids usually set up a lemonade stand. I set up, I built a museum of the weird uh, featuring shrunken awesome. heads that I got from Captain Company in the back of Famous well, Filmland hey. magazine. Well, let's, let's introduce <laughs> the guest. Famous guests. Monsters of Filmland. <laughs> okay, well, let's, let's introduce the guest first, huh? So tonight on the show, we have a very special guest. Uh, Dave has been a Twitter about this for like, I don't know, three weeks. He's been super excited. Yeah, this we, is a trip down memory lane. It for is, me. and and a very rare, uh, very rare occupation at this point. We have tonight Mr. Lobo. He is a actual horror host. He has been a horror host for a very long time. He's also a, a horror film historian and a B movie historian. He has a show called Cinema Insomnia. Everybody needs to watch it. It is absolutely amazing. Yeah, we're going to try to get our local cable company. Yeah, to, we are. Uh, our our ac- Tuolumne Access. Tuolumne Access. And he has a great channel on Roku and on the web and on Twitch and on YouTube called OSI74. How was that, Mr. Lobo? Did I do all right? That was pretty good, except that uh, I would say that the, the YouTube is Cinema Insomnia. Okay. Uh, and the Twitch is Cinema Insomnia also. But uh, OSI 74 is the website, and uh, you did a great job as far as uh, setting me up. <laughs> 22 okay. years, 22 years, 22 of, uh, years hosting, hosting misunderstood movies. Well, I'll tell you, the first, the, middle of the, night. the first time I ever saw you, you know this, I saw you on Channel 54 down in the Bay Area when my son was like months old. He is now 17, he turns 18 in May, and uh. That's how I know how long I've known wow. for almost wow. 18 years. Yeah, it, it puts it in perspective. You know, it, uh, we have a lot of kids to thank because keep, kids keep their parents up at night. So That's they, true. They, they brought us a lot of uh, adult viewers. All right. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to turn this over to Dave. because well, no, not necessarily turn it over to me, but that was one of the questions that I did have because I've grown nostalgic about this. He's been and, talking about uh, it nonstop. Um. I was thinking it's just a, this, just a nostalgia thing. But uh, when I was buying something at the store before I came here, 
Uh, the girl, I don't know, she looked like a kid, but they all looked like kids to me. She couldn't have been 21 yet. And and she, I said, yeah, we're going to do a paranormal show, and she got all excited. I mean, is there the group of kids still alive that grow up with horror movies and totally influence and warp their life? Or is it just a nostalgia you know, thing for the older folks? It's... It's not a nostalgia thing because these movies were old when we were kids. That's right. They That's were. true. You were watching movies from the 30s. That's the right. 60s. I was. So, you know, it's a certain kind of kid. It's the smart kids. It's the weird kids. It's not everybody. It's not always going to be the, the hottest trend. But it does appeal to a certain kind of kid. Uh, sometimes they're monster kids. Sometimes they're movie kids. I mean, um, the kids that hang out at the movie theater, the kids that end up doing Rocky Horror Picture Show, the, you know, the kids that work as an usher or work at a video store, you know, kids who, who, who obsess on movies. I do horror shows, you know, coast to coast, and there's an eight-year-old kid who knows everything about Frankenstein at every show. Wow. wow. Okay, so it's still alive and raw. Okay, so yes. be- before we get too far into this, Dave... Dave and you talked on the phone, and he talked about a horror host that actually stumped you. And I'm not going to make well, you play what horror host no, on what city and what time. I, I don't think you, I stumped him. It's just because I didn't have enough information. He goes, well, what region was he was in? Well, he did some research. Stuff. Yeah, I looked into it, and actually, uh, Pete Mad Daddy Myers was inducted into the Horror Host Hall of Fame in 2014. And uh, he was mostly a radio host. But uh, he'd start his show with the bubbling cauldron and, uh, you know, the cackle laugh. And he always talked in rhymes and invented his own language. Was this in, was this in Ohio? This was, was in this? Cleveland, Ohio. That's right. How did I know that? And um, uh, he was on air as the first horror host of Cleveland uh, before Goulardi. But they fired him. For Goulardi. And I think they fired <laughs> Goulardi a few times as well. Um, yeah. Uh, they were both very controversial, but I forgot what, what did, I for, don't, I don't remember what the Mad Daddy did to get himself fired. It was, a, it was something that was harder to come back from. Uh, oh, well, he was in a lot of different controversies. One time uh, he got fired from the radio station he was working at, and the guy says, he says he begged him for his job back and says, why don't you just go jump in a lake? And he hired an airplane and parachuted into the lake. So, wow. <laughs> but, wow, that's something. <laughs> when she, he was the horror movie host, um, he yes. would hang upside down. And it got to the viewers. Um, did he do it? Did he do that as a gag, or did he do his whole shtick upside down? I, uh, I you know, I, I had seen a clip of it, and he was upside yeah. down, hanging upside down from something. Wow, that's gotta hurt. Um, that's something. And he always talked in this crazy rhyme. Rhymes. Um, mm-hmm. And he came up with the words Eat "wavy gravy," "ubladi uh, oblada." Um, mm. uh, he's the first one, Scooby Doo. Yeah. Um, he was a beatnik ghoul. He came up with Batty Bucks, a shoe that became a big bestseller. And wow. uh, he t- the re- only reason why I knew him because I'm a radio guy, and he's mostly mm-hmm. known as uh, 
as a radio host. But you made it into. I mean, there's not. They're definitely. Uh, oh, sorry. Yes, but yeah, radio hosts and and TV hosts are definitely akin to each other, more so in the early days. Yeah, it really was. And I, but I noticed uh, uh, you're a recent inductee to the Horror Host Hall of Fame as well. 2021. Yeah, I helped kick it off, which I think somewhat. Uh, 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 I helped. I was there at the first one, and we uh, we inducted Morgus, who is George Norrie's favorite horror host. And, um, and, and I believe Count Gordeval was inducted, and there were a bunch that were inducted right at the beginning. So I was sort of co-hosting the very first one, and I think that that kind of, um, among other things, created a bit of a stigma about me uh, being inducted. But I was still relatively new. I was only 10 years in the game at that point. Uh, whereas now I have a, you know, a, tw a, a tw at that point, a 20 year history as a horror host is kind of hard to deny at that point. And I noticed, and then, uh, uh, yeah, and it, was, and it was an honor to be put in there. Uh, yeah, because I noticed that it's just kind of a who's who in that field, because not only were there horror hosts, but I, what I would call like anthology hosts. Right, uh, like Rod Serling. I, yeah, I inducted yeah. Rod Serling this year. And um, and then Forrest J was uh, an inductee too as well. Uh, I think J. a horror host is is a companion, you know. And I think anyone who can tell take you into that realm of the strange uh, it qualifies. Yeah, it has that. Uh, when I grew up, it it had that good. You know what I realized? See, when I was a kid, you couldn't buy a dinosaur. Or uh, you couldn't buy a horror monster or anything. Uh, we'd go to the Christmas party for the Teamsters, and I wanted a mad scientist science kit, right, with the test tubes and stuff. Mm -hmm. But guess what? I got Tonka trucks. Oh, so, uh, boy. And that yeah. was all that was really available. So what I would do mm -hmm. is I'd build my own dinosaurs. And how did I mm -hmm. learn to do that? Is by reading the uh, famous monsters of Film Lab magazine, and they had Famous the monsters. Ray Harryhausen stories. He showed you behind the scenes and the making. Yes, of. yes. And so you became involved in the whole world. And and back yeah, 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 yes, and I, I feel like that part of it is you know I, I think Forey Ackerman was sort of everyone's guide into that world for a lot of people. Uh, you know, you know, we had a conversation a long time ago. And the way you described it to me was that a horror host was your guide. And he, he, he or she, they, they're there to, to kind of tell you, okay, I'm taking you somewhere weird. You might get a little scared. You might get a little freaked out, but I'm there. I'm going to take you through this thing, and then I'm going to bring you out on the other side. It was kind of like a tour guide to the weird and the supernatural and the bizarre Bring, bringing them back safe, bringing yeah. them back safe, and being a trusted companion, I think, is an important part of it. Yeah, there's a lot of implicit trust there. Now, uh, you got to tell me the story though on this. Is that originally was it Screen Gems, a part of Universal, and they released the old Universal films to television? Yes. And the timings on all these films were very uneven. So, in order to fill out right. the time, if there needed to be. Uh, the shock mm -hmm. theater package. When when did that come out? T tell me that story. Um, 
Well, I believe I believe that that was I and I um, I don't know if I have the exact year on that, but I think it's a, a, a the later fifties. I think it was. I'm not sure if it was fifty seven or when exactly it was, but the shock package was yes, it was Screen Gems. The shock package went out. There was actually a booklet that went with it, and one of the things that they recommended TV stations do is to maybe find someone in local theater or or you know put a Dracula cape on the sportscaster or whatever and have them go out and be a ghoul or something and present these movies as a character. So they did, when they were, when they were circulating, the, and I think there were maybe 50 movies, 56 movies in the package, when they were se- uh, selling these movies to local markets, they did give suggestions on how, how to present them. And I think there were a couple, the, the, the main idea was that you could, you, the balance of time was the thing you mentioned because all the movies were different time lengths, so your host could fill that extra time. But the other part of it is you could kind of set your advertising rates. You can build an audience of people who will come every week and watch no matter what movie is being shown because you might have amazing ratings for Son of Frankenstein, but the next week when you're showing, you know, The Green Door or something, you know, whatever the other the movie door. was. You know, it's not going to bring people in. But if you've got people who are, um, you know, love that host, um, then they'll watch every week and that helped them set their advertising rates. Yeah, I've heard um, uh, horror hosts actually say, uh, I don't know why you're staying up for this. Uh, it's probably the worst movie you've ever seen. And then you want to see it. Yeah, you want to see it even yeah, more. Yeah, well, that's that's what Bob used to do. Bob Wilkins was my horror host on Creature Features in the early 70s. And uh, he would do things like, you know, uh, read read the better things that were on the other channels in the TV guide. Uh, he, or he would tell you to go to bed. Just don't stay up late. It's not worth it. Uh, or he would, um, you know, uh, talk about how the movie was delivered to the station in a brown paper bag and all that kind of stuff. But it did make you want to watch it. And, um, you know, the worse that Bob ex- described it, the more you wanted to see it. Um, you know, it, in the 50s, with the shock package, the movies were great movies. These were the universal classics that were finally, finally coming to television for the most part. There were a bunch of pot boilers, too. But in the 70s, it was all the, the drive-in stuff that was coming to TV. So it was like the horror party beach and the brain that wouldn't die and these sort of uh, lower-budgeted kind of, um, you know, that began the so-bad-it's-good era. And so you did have the hosts that would make fun of the movies more. And, and that became part of the thrill is, is the ha- hazing the movie became part of the events of the evening and what is the horror host going to say about this movie or how are they going to react to this movie so um but bob bob and his his uh brethren of that time with the creature feature package and there was a secondary package of films that went out in the 70s uh, starting in the late 60s and going into the early 80s the creature feature package was similar to the shock package only it, it was like i said they didn't have like the universal classics in there they had kind of um, lower-rated movies. And they, um, uh, you know, the same movies, like Count Gordoval in Washington, D.C., they showed Night of the Living Dead uncut for the first time on television. Well, so did Bob. Bob also on the West Coast showed Night of the Living Dead uncut for the first time on television. They all had the same 
they all had the same movies and we were all watching the same right. movies but every local region had their own host or or sometimes they didn't have a host sometimes they had a disembodied voice sometimes they just had animated bumpers um they didn't all do the host but a lot of us who had that same package had some variation of those uh, films being presented. Yeah, when they first started showing the late-night horror movies when I grew up, it was some guy selling cars on top of a ladder. <laughs> and, uh, but, but, you know... Uh, and, the, and the car never fell off the ladder? No, the, uh, no, he was up in the uh, ladder. No, I, I got you. Look, but, I, I just remember Cal Worthington and his dog Spot, who was, a, who was like no, an elephant. No, this, this was uh, different. I guess I kind of grew eat a in. So I was watching him before there was a Bob Wilkins. Mm-hmm, but I know that mm-hmm. you combined, like you are very much in the tradition of, you sit in the yellow rocking chair, uh, like Bob Wilkins did. Uh, you uh, look vaguely like Gomez Adams right off the top. Okay. You have this kind of, it's not deadpan, but it's like, I call it the Ernie Kovacs uh, thing, Mm -hmm. where you don't really take this seriously, but I'm delivering it to you not in an exaggerated way, which uh, Bob Wilkins did that as well. Or, I think it's dry. Bob was a lot drier than I was, but we uh, both have sort of a off-center sense of humor, yeah. And um, uh, you know, I, oh, and then you had that Twilight Zone thing with uh, things coming mm-hmm. in. Yeah, you definitely are seeing all my influences because yeah, Rod Serling was a big influence. Bob Wilkins was a big influence. Ernie Kovacs was an influence. Um, you, you know, know people don't uh, realize I, how I, important Ernie Kovacs was in a way because. You know, I watched these old episodes of Gulardi, and he would insert himself into the film using a green screen or however he did it. And the first time I had ever seen and and actually be a part of the movie, do comedic things while they're sneaking around the corner in the ancient tomb and stuff. And Ernie Kovacs used to do the exact same thing. He used to sit in the director's chair and goes, no, no, you're doing it all wrong, where the hand comes out to grab the girl. So then they reverse the film, and he says, okay, now mm-hmm. do it right this time. He, no, 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 don't. You, you did it wrong again. No, I want you to creep up slower than that. And it was just hilarious. And uh, I think Ernie Kovac is, he was a host of a variety show, but it was always the weird. And, was host, he was a host, but it was always weird, and they were he was always subverting expectations and 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 sort of um, challenging the status quo and and doing these sort of like oddball Mad Magazine sort of takes on. He used everything. to write yeah, for Mad great. Magazine. He was actually he used to write for Mad Magazine. So that makes total sense. So uh, you know, this whole thing kind of begs the question right from the start. Now, why would someone choose? Uh, being a horror film host as a career path. But, but That's a good question. Well, and, and we should mention that Mr. Lobo is one of the few that is actually a full-time horror host. This is his job 100% of the time. Most of the time, you know, it's it's like the weatherman put a cape on him, but Lobo Yeah, is back in the days, Eddie 100%. Anderson, who was Goularde, he was er, the voice... Ernie, Ernie Anderson. Ernie Anderson. He was the um, uh, the voiceover guy. We'll return to our program in a moment. Okay, now I'm going to let Lobo answer uh, that very important question. 
What was the question? Uh, could you repeat the question, please? He, he wanted to know why somebody would actually want to do that for a living. Yes, yes, that is. Well, you know, I, it is interesting because, you know, people go, oh, well, you stole my idea of being a famous horror host. Um, but, you know, I think that everyone wants to be a horror host. Everybody wants to be a rock star. Everybody wants to be, at least I would think, everybody uh, wants to be a Superman or Spider-Man. You know, so it's not necessarily something that you think is going to happen, and it's not necessarily something that you plan for, but something that I always had an affinity for, always, um, I, I wrote about it, I wrote for a magazine uh, called Planet X, and we interviewed Bob uh, Wilkins for Planet X, and we did a live stage show uh, in um, Sacramento with Bob, and did a revival of Creature Features on stage, and um, I wrote jokes for Bob for that. And uh, I got to know Bob, and Bob said, um, you should do this. You should get out in a chair and host movies. And I said, well, Bob, people don't do that anymore. That's, this is something nostalgic from when we were kids. And he said, well, you know, everything has a cycle. Everything has a 20-year cycle or so. You could be on the forefront of another wave of horror movie hosts. And this was something I had a hard time even hearing. So say. now it's been 20 years. <laughs> Um, and yeah, right. So, you know, and I said, well, you know, I, I, I appreciate you saying that, you know, and then I worked at a TV station. There was a movie at three in the morning that ran 25 minutes short and they had six and a half minute commercial breaks. And I went into the, uh, um, the general manager's office and I said, have you ever tried to sit through a six and a half minute commercial break? It's excruciating, you know. I think we could fill that time with something, and that I had some courage because of what Bob had said to me. I had a little bit of courage to try, and um, and so between my friend Mike and I, who worked at the station, we created a format that was Cinema Insomnia. And originally we were going to do uh, Insomniac Theater, but there was a lot of ABC stations were already calling their late night movie. Insomniac Theater. So, it, and there was David Tell's Insomniac, which was just coming out. Oh, yeah. So I thought, okay, well, let's do let Creature Features has a sing-songy quality about it about cinema insomnia. Well, I start I, I started doing it, and I got hooked on it. I it, I, I absolutely love the format of it. It's an art form, uh, in my opinion. It's a folk it American folk art. It is, and, and, and um, people you know, buy into it. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I get excited. That's okay. I, that's okay. I, 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 you know, I started doing it, and it's like you know, there aren't many things you can do in today in television where you are expected to, you know, write material, perform it, produce, you know, uh, enter do interviews. Um, you know, I create props. I do artwork. Um, there's so many different disciplines. I do songs in the show. Fan, I, I that sounds like show. radio. Fantastic interviews. Um, you know, <laughs> the there's Richard, so many the, different. Sorry, I got excited too. Go ahead. That's okay. There's, you know, it's just one of those few things where 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 one person can wear many hats and express a lot of different talents into something. That's the one. That's the part of it that really appealed to me at first. But then when the feedback started coming back from the audience, and then you realize that. You are a companion for people. You are a friend to people in the dark. 
and 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 how much that job means. You know, I knew how much Bob Wilkins meant to me, but I didn't think I could mean that much to somebody else. And but once you you get that taste for wow, I'm I am actually like um, reaching people and and kind of fostering a community of people who like this stuff. And um, and so it's. It's something that um, you know I've had to reinvent many times. I've gone through many channels. I've gone through syndication, cable. I've been on satellite television. I was on several early streaming channels. You know, it's it's one of those things that I keep having to find different platforms, different venues, uh, in different revenue streams. I've been, I'm on Blu-ray. I'm on DVD, on demand. You know, you name it. You know, and it's just um, you know live shows. We've done live spook shows. You know, I host film festivals. You know, so I, I keep having to mutate it and to keep rowing it so that um, I can do it. But I, it, I, it's the best worst job in the world. I, I love every minute of it. As frustrating as it is, I, I love every minute of it. And I've, I've worked on several documentaries on horror hosts, and I've interviewed all of them. And the only ones who have regrets are the ones who quit, the ones who stop. Everyone's like, oh, you know, I could have kept doing it once a year for Halloween or or maybe do four times a year or maybe just, you know, do a, a live event every once in a while. You know, I think that when you're a character like that, when you're a persona like that, you know, and, and it speaks to people like Zachary and, and Elvira and, and all those, I think it becomes a part of you um, and, it, and it never quite ever leaves you. So if you if you don't get to excise it, uh, occasionally, uh, it's it, it, it can uh, be a bad thing. Well, it sounds very much like you are continuing a this great American, like you said, folk tradition, because in the old days, and they were regional, more regional. I mean, they not too many of them they achieved were. status like Elvira or something. It was more regional, but they would. Uh, I have showings of movies where they hosted them and all the kids came. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. Mad Daddy used to have sock hops, but they were in haunted houses. And <laughs> it's an interesting idea. You know, one of the things, though, that when I watched Creature Features when I was a kid, I was in the John Stanley era of Creature Features. But one of the things that, that struck me were the interviews. And it... You know, I, I don't know if all horror hosts do that. I know you do. I know Bob Wilkins did, John Stanley did. But, you know, it, it was interesting because here you've got this movie and you're presenting the movie, you're making jokes about the movie, but you're also interviewing people sometimes that are in the movie, sometimes they're not. But there's, there's like a, you know, it, it's an all-encompassing thing. I mean, I always go back to the, the Richard Hatch interview. I think it's the greatest interview you ever did in your life <laughs> but it is i mean you shut him down was, i know you like that oh, i love it it's hilarious but at the same time uh -huh. you know you're presenting this movie right and you're making right. these jokes like with abacus and you know the the other right. stuff that you do but then you've got this like legit interview i mean even the the richard hatch <clears throat> interview i mean as a child who watched battlestar galactica i found it very interesting you know, very funny toward the end, but I, I found the interviews interesting and engaging. And you wouldn't think that you're there to watch a movie, not to watch an interview, but it's the format and others do it too. And I, I just thought that was interesting. 
it is interesting because there are aspects of it that are like a variety show. Right. Uh, and, and our show, especially where, you know, we're showing vintage commercials and we're showing short films right. and we're doing sketches and we're doing interviews and there's a movie. So it's uh, somewhat like um, uh, somewhat like a variety show, somewhat like a magazine where everything's sort of compartmentalized. We have our mailbag, you know, right. we have, we do a recipe. Yeah, we the have recipes a real are seven girl. So, you know, so it is somewhat like a, a video version of a famous Monsters magazine where we're kind of delving into, you know, the, the entire experience, you know, and some of that experience is being irreverent to the movie and some of that experience is being very reverent to the movie. Because honestly, any sort of irreverence is always sort of, um, you know, a false premise anyway, because it, you're validating it by presenting it. You know, if it, right. the worst movies in the world aren't worth making witty commentary about, the only things that are worth satirizing are the things that we love and the things that have power over us. You know, you know. case in point, you know, uh, the other night we are going to watch a movie and it was like, oh, you want to see the worst war movie ever made? And I'm all, well, what's that? I've seen a lot of really bad war movies in my life. And it was like, oh, this, oh what is it? Revolution with Al Pacino? It's a terrible movie. But that, I remember it, but I... I mm -hmm. You blocked it from your mind, probably. But I told yeah, him, I said, that's hey... that's my brain protecting my heart. Probably. Yes, probably. But I was like, hey, mm -hmm. you want to watch a really awful movie? Let's watch Free Jack. Not even you could, <laughs> sat, not, not even you could satirize Free Jack. Free Jack is so bad <laughs> that even, even Cinema Insomnia can't... That satirizes itself. It does. Uh, Rick Jagger, I, I, that Pink Armor Personal. That was hard to do on my show because that was one of the only movies that I almost, one of the few movies that I almost just got up in the middle of and watched. It's the out. only but movie I, I definitely I, laughed out loud. Of oh no, parts it, of it. it is the only movie I ever got up and walked out of. Wow. wow. I mean, I've sat through some bad ones, but I, you know me, I like the bad ones. But Free Jack, Mick Jagger, Pink Armor Personnel Carrier, I couldn't do it. And and to yeah. think to think Judorowski, you know, I think Judorowski's a genius. This is kind of kind yeah. of diverting from from you know this is just general cinema talk, but he he wanted he wanted uh, Mick Jagger to play Fade Rutha in uh, in Dune. Dune. Yeah, mm -hmm. I was mm -hmm. like, and I you know I'm well, watching Free Jack thinking he could have done it. Yeah. I mean, he's probably, you know, I mean, when he was putting that together, he was probably basing that on Mick Jagger's stage presence more oh, so yeah. than anything else. But Free Jack is um, a horrible, horrible film. Sting did a, better, did a better job. He really did. But Free Jack, terrible film. Absolutely. I, yeah, I, it, it, it misunderstood, though. No, I, I it's think, you know, not. I it's just crap. crap. <laughs> I, I, I just think, I think that it's, it is, like I said, you can have a good time with a bad movie. And, um, you know, uh, you know, we're talking about it right now, so that says something about it. That's so true. when I was a kid, you couldn't uh, go and uh, rent. There were there was no DVDs. There were no computers. There was no um, just gas lamps. Uh, there was no VHS. Um, mm -hmm. I for the longest time I had a six millimeter copy of Night of the Living Dead. And, eight millimeter. Uh, yeah, eight millimeter. Uh, 16 millimeter. I had a 16 millimeter with oh, the 16 millimeter. Yeah, I had. Okay. Oh, when I was a real it's little eight, kid, I I used to buy those or, six, or, or 16. Yeah, I used to buy the little eight millimeter, 160 foot, 15 minute yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, versions of all the horror movies. That's all we had. You know, oddly, yeah, yeah but 
oh, the castle ahead. films, the collapsed versions of them. Mm-hmm. Oh, and when I was a kid going to the movies, I remember going to the movies and there was a nurse stationed at the, um, <laughs> uh, there just in case mm-hmm. somebody had a heart attack. I remember. They fainted. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember the ones I liked the best were the Ray Harry Hosen movies, and it was always mm-hmm. like they they finally get the Ymir from Venus on top the Roman Colosseum. They finally mm-hmm. get the Guangi by trapping him in a mm-hmm. southwestern mission. Uh, the flying <laughs> yep. saucers crashing into the White House. The, the gigantic uh, yeah. squid gigantic taking down um, Golden Gate Bridge. He would take these actually, iconic. I I wrote uh-huh. a paper. I actually wrote a paper in college. I took a class in science fiction literature, and I wrote a paper about Earth versus the flying saucers, because the gender roles in it were very interesting. But I'll, I'll tell you about that some other time. But. Okay. Yeah. But it, it so an industry grew up around that. To me, it was kind of like Ray Bradbury wrote the stories, Ray Harry Hosen made them, and Forrest J. Ackerman per, uh, promoted them. Forrest promoted J. Ackerman yeah. was uh, Ray Bradbury's literary agent. And they were all, three of them were really good friends. I did not know. Wow. And um, uh, yeah, you, you know, I had dinner one night with Ray Bradbury. And he goes, you know, oh, this, wow. you know the That's story, the, the Foghorn? There was a short story that he wrote, which became Ray, Ray Harry Hosen's. It came from, it was like his, one of his first films. Uh, this thing, here's the Foghorn, and emerges from the water and tears up. Uh, maybe it was the behemoth from 20,000 Fathoms. I think it was, it came from beyond or something like that. No, it came from it was out that, of the sea. Came. It came from beneath the sea? Yeah, I think probably. that's it. It's a, like a big dinosaur-looking yeah. thing, rampaging. Mm-hmm. And that was based on a short story by Ray Bradbury. You know, you know what's interesting about your interest in 16-millimeter film? I actually I have one of the largest collections of UFO, paranormal, and Bigfoot 16-millimeter films in the world. And for years wow. and years and years, there was a, a club called the Vortex Room in San Francisco, and I would always tell Lobo, hey, I'll put a couple of the, because I have all the, like, in search ofs. Well, I have almost the entire first season in search of, but more importantly, I have one called the Outer Space Connection. And it's super, like, ambitious the way that they made it. But my dream was to take that to the Vortex Room and actually have Lobo host it and actually show it in the Vortex Room. Unfortunately, the Vortex Room shut down, but that was always my dream was to show the outer space connection narrated by Rod Serling. Uh, we'll still have to show that sometime. Yeah, we do. We may actually have here, a movie night. Well, we here in Tuolumne County, Captain Dave, he has some connections. So we actually have a place we may be able to show it. Uh, yeah, I don't know if That'd you know good. this, but uh, California has the highest amount of UFO ratings in, in the world consistently. Yep. But Sonora, <laughs> Sonora is the only city that made the top 10 in frequency of sightings, and it's number five. Isn't that uh, crazy? Uh, so we used that to have crazy. a UFO museum downtown Sonora uh, that was the largest collection of UFO memorabilia in the world. It's since closed wow. down, but uh, in the 70s and 80s, that, that was big. Right here. I want to find, find out who owned that. I want to see what Marv happened. Taylor. Where's Marvin all the stuff? I, I don't know. He moved away. 
I guess he moved away with us. Well, I have a I have a UFO. He went back. His home planet needed him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Serpo called him back. Uh, That's mm-hmm. a UFO planet. Right. But, Serpo. Uh, I guess my point was, actually, is that when I was a kid, nothing was available. Right. And... Um, uh, we had to make our own monsters. And there was, uh, magazines like mm-hmm. Famous Monsters that started merchandising merch. You know, where could you get your monster T-shirt? Where could you get the big Frankie that stood right. two foot tall? You know, I mean, you, you, you couldn't get those anywhere. And they were the first ones that did that. Now, I know well, you belong... Um, uh, uh, Captain Tiki, uh, <laughs> I think the whole thing that started this conversation, you showed me your membership card. You are like a sleepless night or something. Of insomnia. I, I sure am. I'm a card. I'm an actual card carrying member. That's right. right. I have the I have the decoder. We have a, a new kit, a new fan club kit that we're launching right now, where it's got the, a new decoder ring, oh. and we have oh, a yeah, poster. There's a, uh, a poster done by an artist from Daria who um, did me floating in space, all the stuff that's, that's from my opening, very Twilight Zone-esque, but it's me and Miss Mittens floating through space with all of the things from the opening. Um, and then, um, and then a, you know, a certificate and, um, you know, your car, your membership card and, you know, eight by tens and pins and all of that stuff. See, yeah. when I was a kid, I was, I, I participated in the Master Monster uh, contest mm-hmm. where you customize an Aurora model, and I, oh, got, awesome. uh, I only won third place. But the guy that won first place, he cheated. His diorama was too big, and he was too old. You know, I mm. mean, uh, everybody else was like 11 years old. <laughs> and he's like he's like 37. <laughs> yeah, I think he was the hobby. Hey, you. Uh, the hobby. He probably worked for Famous Monsters. <laughs> But yeah. uh, it was rigged. It was totally rigged. But I had my membership card. I had mm-hmm. my. Uh, I took the course by, man, Dick Smith. Was he a famous monster oh, yeah. makeup artist? Yes. And I took Dick a Smith mail order course, and I mm-hmm. made my little brother up like his eye was dripping down, you know. And um, Dick, Dick Smith was um, was that uh, Sam. Uh, I mean, excuse me, um, gosh darn it, the uh, special effects, famous special effects makeup guy, um, uh, oh God, Savini, Savini, Uh, Savini. uh, Dick Smith was was Savini's teacher. Okay, so I took a mail order monster, how to do monster makeup course, and Mm -hmm. uh, from him, I spent hours doing the crepe fur or the crep mm-hmm. uh, hair with the, you have to do it in layers and then trim it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I did the whole, you wouldn't believe how important that stuff was to me as a kid and mm-hmm. um, how it influenced my life. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, and then I noticed it influenced a lot of other people's life of my generation because Steven mm-hmm. Spielberg, George Lucas, Peter Jackson, Joe Dante, they all say that their biggest early influence is was those old schlocky movies and famous monsters magazine. I mean, well, Ray, Ray Harryhausen, like some of the stuff that he did was pretty impressive. I mean, it wasn't all schlocky. No, I know. I, I, he's probably my favorite. 
Um, uh, Valley of Guanghi was really like the thing. So no, when, no, no. Night of the Lupus. Night of the Lupus. Hands down. He didn't do that though. Those I, aren't. I those aren't. Those, those are just rabbits. Uh, oh, what right, happened but it's is, a good movie. Is that Willis O'Brien was planning this movie, and he died. And then once Ray Harry Hosmer mm-hmm. became really well established, he says, "I'm going to make this movie that my teacher was uh, mm-hmm. planning on." And he made. Oh, here's an aside. Okay, so we're tangential here. Yeah, that's the way we work here. Life's little mysteries. But um, so mm-hmm. my grand, uh, my grandparents were all born and raised in Oakland. Oh yeah. And um, and uh, Willis O'Brien was born and raised in Oakland. And he's the mm, animator for the original King Kong. Right. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And so they were working on a movie, and it was actually Ray ha- Harry Hosen's first really screen credits on this one. And they needed, yeah. they needed these wrestler guys. So my mm-hmm. grandfather ran a gym in Oakland, and he yeah. got the wrestlers to, uh, not all of them, I think one of them was like a famous actor, a famous boxer maybe he was. Mm-hmm. But the guy, uh, so in Mighty Joe Young, the original version, the, uh, when Mighty Joe Young was having the tug of war with the 10 strongest people in the world, uh, most right. of those mm-hmm. guys came from my grandfather's gym. Oh, awesome. So, How neat. And that was a talking point where my grandmother, you know, oh. would tell us the stories. Right. <laughs> he, she also saw I, it, who it's, did. It's, Go ahead. It, it's, it's just amazing, I think, that what all those things have in common is that they sort of foster this imagination mm-hmm. and this implied participation, too. And I think that's, that that's yes. always been part of, of of the success of midnight movies and horror movie hosts and 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 these types of movies is that uh, and the magazine and everything else and the way it worked together is that you felt that you were part of it and you know every every household item became a thing that could be a monster you know uh, so uh, to let you know the impact my grandmother my grandfather took my grandmother to go see the opening of King Kong. And she oh, said wow. that movie affected her so much. They had this old steel bed and it faced the window. And you know, the scene mm-hmm. where uh, Kong's looking for She gets Greg. Yeah, right. Uh, they grab the bed and take it to the window. And she said she kept mm-hmm. dreaming that King Kong was looking through the window. So uh, wow. I had to move the bed. And we can mm-hmm. look at that film mm-hmm. now and we can see that it is a puppet, an animated puppet. Sure but how they could make it become alive and show emotion and uh, that you could connect. I mean, that was the high tech of, that was the high tech of the day and they were doing trickery. They were, it, was a, it was a magic trick and, and they were doing that stop motion a frame at a time and, and, and it, was, it was ahead of the audience's perception or understanding and it was, it was very alarming and surprising and alive to them. Yeah, so, uh... But, you know, that's something that's really been lost is that, that practical effects, you know, because everything is so reliant on digital. You know, I watched the new Indiana Jones, and there's a, yes. whole, there's a whole seat. Not a great movie, but there's a whole sequence. Which I saw. I, I liked it. I, I liked it a lot more than I expected to. I liked it more than the last one. 
anything mm-hmm. i grew up reading h rider haggard she or anything to do with the mysteries and the archaeology mm-hmm. and having to solve the clues and good. discovering mm-hmm. lost civilizations that is like what i enjoy the most but I think. what was interesting about it was the sequence in the beginning when he's he's dealing with the nazis and you know he was obviously computer generated right and it was very very good you know my my problem it was amazing the, it was yeah, amazing what really they had was. done there though was a t- it was a technique they hadn't done before where it literally went through every single frame of film with that Harrison Ford has ever been in and replaced yeah, his AI. whatever his current face is with an yeah AI with right. replacing his current face is with with his or other with his face in a in a in a same similar position for, that he had already done in some other film but and but, so it's just a million a million images of him all all sure. all composited together but so that if they didn't have that if they didn't have that archive of him when he was young they couldn't have just made him younger like but, that not that well. No, I mean, it, it was, I really enjoyed the beginning of the film. But it, and yeah. I, I love Mad, Mads Mikkelsen, but, yeah. you know, it's, but the, the practical effects stuff. You know, so, really so in, uh, in one of those Sinbad movies, there was this monkey in the cage, right? Right. And, he, mm-hmm. and they suggested to cut down on the cost or whatever. Why don't you just make it a real monkey? And he goes, no, that, that will... He's trying to create this illusion. So he made right. sure the mm-hmm. monkey was in dynamation, even though it didn't have mm-hmm. to be. You know, in the, uh, I don't know if it was the, one of the Planet of the Apes, where you go in and you see all these, what look like chimpanzees in, in these cages, and you think they're really monkeys, but they were all puppets. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. the, you're right, those practical Practi- yeah. uh, effects... And they created uh, uh, all kinds of stuff. This dreamlike or fantasy illusion. Well, you take Labyrinth, right? You know, Labyrinth. It's all puppet show. Yeah, it's all puppets. And but if they did it now, it'd all be computer generated. And there, there's something about Labyrinth. That I I think the thing that that it is is that you know, a train set is amazing, even though. It's not real. You right. you were you were swept up in just the technical uh, uh, right. um, complexity of it. Wow, this was somebody made all of this. This is incredible. Um, so it, you're looking at it as the way you look at a piece of artwork. Um, and uh, you know, I think that that you know, obviously the, the the audience audiences used to be able to suspend their disbelief more, also. But I do think that there is an aspect to it to where if you were there, you could touch it. You know what I mean? Right. If you were if you were in the room with it, you could see it, you could touch it, and 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 it, it's not necessarily about it looking real; it's about it looking good. And um and I think a lot of those things didn't necessarily look real, but they looked really good, right. and they looked really fun. And and I think uh, it, it uh, uh, like what you were saying before about the dynamation. We want to see the stuff in dynamation. Right. And just like when you're watching the Thunderbirds, sure, they're all marionettes. There's no, they're not even, you know, close to being human. But there's something intriguing about the fact that this was all created by an artisan. All this entire, this entire thing was right. was made by a person to their vision. Well, I wish I could remember the name of the f- filmmaker, uh, but I think he was from Belgium, and he made that movie about the kids that stole the balloon. 
Um, and he made some others as well. Uh, the the worlds of Jules Verne. It's very steampunk. Uh, is that like Shankmeyer? No. Uh, no. But uh, uh, George Lucas and those people were so impressed with his work that they actually financed a museum to save his. It was all like special effects with gears and stuff, the well, flying know, machines that he would create and the illusions. Th- there's something there's something about film that's changed as well, just in general. Because, you know, the other day I was watching Fahrenheit 451. You were mentioning Ray Bradbury. And I was watching the, the Francois Truffaut version. And for whatever reason, you know, I, I like movies. I try to major in film. You know, I've had many, many conversations with Lobo about the symbolism and things. But it had never actually dawned on me that in, in the film Fahrenheit 451, you don't actually see a single word until the guy, <clears throat> I forget his name, <clears throat> but he finds the book. But the entire introduction right. to the film, there are no words. Yeah, it's, it's all just, spoken. It's just, no, it, it, right. Directed by Francois Truffaut. They're just right. saying all the things. Sorry, uh, Carol Verner. Zeman, I think. Yes, that's uh, him. Carol Zeman is that's the Czech and a filmmaker. Czech yeah. filmmaker. Mm-hmm. That's him, yes. Okay. Uh, beautiful work. and, and uh, Fabulous World of Jules Verne. That was it, The Fabulous World of Jules Verne. Mm-hmm. Now, I like the kids that stole the balloon better. But he made several films. He made a dinosaur film that was really great. Um, but he made these contraptions. You knew they were, yeah, it took him hours and hours to create these things. And it felt like you saw behind the scenes or you kind of knew uh, how it was made. You know, the first movies were actually these shadow puppets and they were in color. And the Chinese would put the big silk sheet up and they had this transparent mm. skins, uh, mm. stiff skins, and they'd mm-hmm. make shadow puppets and press it up against the silk and it would be in color. And they'd have these auditoriums wow. and everybody oh, would wow. come mm-hmm. and sit down and watch color dramas uh, taking place, mm-hmm. movies. Just like this, in, right. this thing that's, that's in us, that craving for that illusion. And I just want to say, as the horror movie host to me is like the American uh, tradition. And I'm glad, because uh, my first question was, is just this nostalgia or are there still 10-year-old kids that are flipped out over the mummy? And uh, what I'm hearing is... There are, there are. I get, I get, draw, I get kids. I, you know, when I first started, I was just getting drawings from 49-year-olds when I first started. <laughs> And, and that was the joke for a long time. But the past, I would say, maybe the past 10 years, more and more and more and more younger people, and I think some of it is my fans are having kids, and their kids are getting old enough to get into it. But I, I, pictures of little kids dressed like Mr. Lobo, pictures of little kids drawing or, or, or drawings of some of the things in the movies, questions about vampires from kids, um, you know, kids who built things, yeah, uh, you... kids who've done little dioramas, kids who have, uh, you know, uh, you know, kids who come in costumes and, and you know, like we have this little seven year old girl who dresses up like a, the, a Sally, the zombie cheerleader, which is a character that's sometimes on our show. Um, you know, it's just like the, this part, again, the implied participation, they want to participate in it. They're doing, they're making drawings, they're doing funny voices. They're creating things in their backyard, 
and um, and their parents are loving it because it's 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 they're expressing this creativity um, that their that their peers are not. That is exactly the point. It spurs a young person's imagination, or it certainly did yeah. mine. All right. Well, we're yeah. we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be back in about fifteen minutes. Might as well do it now. You're listening. That's a quick break. Yeah, we usually take about a ten or fifteen minute break. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you still going to be there? Hey, notice, notice. There's, there's no. There's I'll no take commercials. a five minute yeah. break. Okay, we'll come back in ten minutes. <laughs> I don't know. You can listen to tiki music, but it's well, like being, no, on, gonna being on, on hold. You know, that's oh, fine. That's I was going to put on the aura. sandwich or something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, we'll we'll be with you uh, as soon as an operator comes up, and then you listen yeah. to this music. Well, we'll get back to you when we At feel like it. At least tiki music. Well, I was going to play the orb. I'll just go crawl in my coffin for a while and yeah, just okay. knock on when you're ready. I do have a comment about that. But you're listening to the Enigma Hour. It's two hours with Captain Tiki and Captain Dave here on KADLP uh, 103.5 FM, Sonora, California, KAAD-LP.org. We'll be back in a few minutes. Disappeared in a crowd I didn't understand that I don't understand that Am I the one you think about When you're sitting in your fainting chair Drinking pancreas Am I the one you think about When you're sitting in your fainting chair Drinking pancreas And everybody was gone Stand in the street Cause you're trying not to crack up It wasn't like a rain It was more like a sea I didn't ask for this pain It just came over me I love a stone But I don't love land And all that water's coming up So fast it's frightening And I what you think about When you're sitting in your fainting chair Drinking pancreas Sitting in your fainting chair Drinking pancreas And everybody was gone I was standing on the street Cause I was trying not to cry I was solid gold I was in the fight I was coming back From what seemed like a road I couldn't see You coming so far I just turn around So surprised you wanna dance with me now I was just getting used to living life without you around I'm so surprised you wanna dance with me now You always said I held you way too high off the ground You didn't see me, I was falling apart I was a white girl in a crowd of white girls in the park You didn't see me, I was falling apart I was a television version of a person with a broken heart 
to the Enigma Hour with Captain Tiki, Neil Watt Phillips, and Captain Dave. We're reporting uh, for duty, sir. <laughs> yeah. We're reporting for duty here live every Thursday, 10 p.m. to 12 a.m. And uh, over here on KADLP, 103.5 FM, Sonora, California. Tonight we got on the uh, amazing Mr. Lobo. We'll see if he's awake here in a, in a minute. But I uh, thought I'd break in here a little bit early. Yeah, I can't wait to get started again, actually. <laughs> I know. You You know, you've been looking forward to this this for, like, weeks. You're like, when can you... You talked to him for, like, two minutes, and you were like, when can you get him on? Yeah, well, no, I went home and uh, watched his movie, uh, watched a few episodes of uh, Cinema Insomnia, listened to a couple of his weekly updates... Uh, you know, he mentioned his co-host. Miss Mittens. Uh, and I don't think our listeners might not know exactly who she is. Oh, uh, she's a houseplant. Uh, she talks, but you can't hear her. Only Mr. Lobo can hear her in the void. Uh, so that, that, <laughs> that's his co-host. Well, we'll see if he's done with his sandwich yet. You know, one of my favorite... Mr. Lobo, if you can hear us, let us know when you're back. Yes. You're back? I can hear you. I can hear you. Yes, I'm just getting the mustard Uh-oh. off my tie. But yeah. Uh, he was listening in. <laughs> we were waxing poetic. Hey, I got mm-hmm. a, I yeah, got you're a, talking about Miss Mittens. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think people yes. exactly knew uh, who she was when you mentioned her. She's a, yes, she's a houseplant. You know, it's interesting because uh, the, uh, Alyssa Lynn, who was the, who was the meteorologist, very attractive uh, weather, uh, weather forecaster on Channel 10 that I worked at, uh, she, she gifted me a plant 
with a nice card, and it said, here's something for your set. Good luck with your show. Okay. And I'm reading this card going, I am in outer space. I am in this blackness of, of this black void. I'm trying to do this Rod Serling type presentation. Where does a houseplant live in this place that I've created uh, for, for my show? And, and, and so in the beginning, uh, the void, yes, and which we call it the void. And um, so, uh, which which is always nebulous, whether it's the subconscious or, you know, whether it's a dimension or whether it's just, you know, a studio with a black curtain. It can be all those things. But I, so I, so in the beginning, I had a separate area where I had the plant um, and I would go and I'd water it. And they didn't like having, you know, anyone who, anyone who came out, anyone who was on the air, they wanted them to fill out a release and, you know, they wanted their thumbprint and, you know, their skin graft and, you know, DNA you couldn't sample. just put people on in here. Yes, DNA sample. So you could, it, you, I couldn't just drag people off the street and, and put them on the air. So a lot of times we would, we would cut people off at the neck where we wouldn't see who the person was from the neck up. I'd still be sitting in my chair and they'd walk up and their oh, So that's why you off. did that. I always wondered. Uh, that was one of the reasons, but uh, and I thought it was funny that to not pan up, you know, if somebody walks, you don't widen the shot. You just <laughs> not courteous at all to the other person, you know, yeah. just 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 uh, walk, have them walk in. You don't see their face. But anyhow, I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll talk to Miss Mittens, uh, and I named her Miss Mittens because I feel like. Um, you know, people name their pets really degrading things, you know, and I, I thought, you know, how do we how do we completely just embarrass this pet plant with a silly name? So I thought, OK, Miss Mittens could be the name of the plant. And so then I thought, OK, well, it's this lonely guy. He could be ta- he's in the middle of the night. Maybe this is this is maybe he's doing his locker talk backstage with this plant. So. Uh, so I thought, well, this could be an opportunity for me to sort of ha- sort of do a casual, you know, breakdown of, you know, a back, have a back and forth. But really, it's just a one-sided conversation about how the show's going. So I'd go and I'd water her, and I would talk to this plant, and then I would go back to my regular set, and I would do the rest of the show. And after a couple weeks, I kind of stopped doing it. And then we started getting mail. Where's Miss Mittens? How's Miss Mittens? What's Miss Mittens doing? And then I realized that, wait a second, this isn't like a lonely guy, sad log lady kind of situation. This is an R2-D2-C-3PO kind of situation where the sure. audience is filling in what Miss Mittens is saying. It's not a one-sided conversation. The audience is participating and filling in the other side of that conversation and, and, and getting very attached to this character because they are giving this character a life. The, the viewer is giving this character a life. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to bring the plant into the set with me and um, and then just have her be there right at the start of the show on a little uh, uh, nightstand and and treat her like a co-host. And, and that's how that started. And people just really liked that. And then, of course, she got a drinking problem or she learns, you know, she's learning how to drive and she crashes the car. And we don't ever see her do anything, but it always happens in the margins, she's getting into trouble. Yeah, you know, we tried doing something that, like, here at the radio station, but uh, unfortunately, we broadcast from a basement. 
and there's no windows, so we couldn't keep the plant alive. <laughs> now, we started this beautiful mushroom. It's actually quite large, but uh, um, it has spots on it, so it looks like mm. eyes. So all the DJs mm -hmm. started getting spooked uh, that it was staring at them, so we had to move it. Move it. It's clear on the other side of the room. Isn't of course, we're, yeah. the only, we're the only show that talks about ghosts and UFOs and... They're all getting scared. Yes. Me, I'm looking at them like, eh, okay. So uh, a point yeah. that you brought up that I think is really important yes. is this whole thing is a participatory thing, that you participate. Yes. Uh, you part, you're yes. just not a, um, a, an observer of it. It's like this immersive and actually multimedia. You're on lots of different platforms. You can get the Mr. Lobo poster. Do you have a Mr. Lobo Aurora um, snap together. You must Mom, have a bobblehead or I something. I, I don't have. I, I you know what we 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 keep trying to make that happen. I have a bobblehead, uh, and and I and 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 people have made plastic. Like I have several plastic lobos here that people have made, but they're one-offs. I have I have one that almost looks like an Aurora model, but someone three D printed it. And I have another one that's made out of perler beads where I've got 3D glasses on. And it's great. It's amazing looking. I look like a video game character out of perler beads. I've got another one where it's made out of clay. I got another one where it's a, action, a bunch of action figures that have been cut, to cut, cut apart and put together again to resemble me. So, you know, I, I have a, a ton of them here. I don't, I don't, I, I do, I, Rob Fleck did do a tiny, uh, um, Two and a half inch tall Lobo that he sells um, that is um, molded in resin. And he's, he also makes the bobblehead. So Rob Fleck makes the bobblehead and he makes a little Lobo figure. But I would love to have a, an Aurora glow in the dark oh, snap yeah. together Mr. Lobo, you know, and, and maybe you'd have to make it more interesting and be Mr. Lobo and a monster, you know, I, like I Romana know. or Kogarana or somebody with me. I, I don't know. I or want Miss Mittens. I, I, want, yeah, I want the one from when you were in Scooby Doo. <laughs> oh, when I, Professor Ruffalo. Yeah. Um, but that that's more of a Lobo inspired I character, know. certainly. So uh, when I was, uh, this is actually, uh, I mean, I was real little kid then. I I wasn't even conscious. But the okay. very first science fiction convention, science fiction fantasy convention. Force J. Ackman, yes. Ray Bradbury, all mm -hmm. those guys put it together. And then yes, he came sure dressed as a spaceman in a spacesuit. Right. And yes. that was like the first cosplay, the first yes. convention uh, where you participated in uh, the event. You're just not an observer. You're, it's an immersive it's a, yes, it, the first cosplay, the first, the first, it, all that stuff. Those guys laid the groundwork for fandom for the next sixty plus years. Um, you know, I mean, it's amazing the whole convention culture, the fandom culture, where and it is a participation because you know, cinema insomnia. The way I do the show is the an extension of how I interact with these movies when I was a kid. I'd watch a movie and then I'd want to draw or I'd want to write or I'd want to, you know, build something. And so in the show, that's what I do. I, the movie inspires me to create things 
and I, 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 I have fun around the movie, around the ideas that I get from watching these movies. Now, these guys were like a generation before me, but they grew up on the pulps. Is, uh, mm -hmm. And uh, I, I was a real big Doc Savage fan. I brought it in my collection the other day. So, oh, my God. Uh, it's like an entire box. <laughs> But it wow. says Bantam reprints, although I did show you I have first editions oh, of yeah. Edgar well, Rice It's interesting. It's interesting because those, those popes like Weird Tales and, you know, Amazing Stories and all of those, you know, um, you, you, know you, you know, nowadays we have the Internet and you have these forums and you have social media where all these nerds are fighting each other in these in the in having these arguments back and forth about different franchises and then you go back and you read old weird tales and stuff and you look you go to the the editorial pages and it's the same stuff it's like but it's Forey ackerman arguing with some other author and they're going back and forth it's a it's the world's longest internet argument happening in print through across several magazines well you know doc you know, savage uh, magazine had had all all the all the ornaments of it. You belong to the Doc Savage Club. You get a Doc mm -hmm. Savage pin. You had your Doc Savage exercise program. With the famous monsters of Filmland, Forrest J would invite kids to make their own movies. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, hey, make, make your model and send it in. If you win, you not only get a tour of the Acker Mansion, which had the largest collection of monster movie memorabilia in the world and uh, but you mm -hmm. get to be at the set of the monsters and get to meet fred wow. Glenn, you know and, yeah and al lewis <laughs> well and, and we have we do have that uh, again in, in participation exactly in that theme you know we, we we do the insomniac oath where everyone joins in and does this oath together as part of the show. Oh, that's where you uh, also, uh, get your eyes wide. Right. Yeah, you widen your <laughs> eyes and you repeat oh, after Mr. Lobo. He did it. I, as an initiated member of the Sleepless Nights of Insomnia, do solemnly swear to watch the movie, the whole movie, and nothing but the movie. So help me, Mr. Lobo. And I did that as a joke in an episode. I thought that the movie was especially going to be hard to get through. So I thought, well, we'll do this thing just to keep people invested in the movie. But then people wanted to do it every time. So I just, I just, I just made, made it a regular part of the because show. Because it's a um, continuing American folk tradition. I mean, Doc Savage Oath was quite different than what, what yours is. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still part of What that. was the Doc Savage Oath? Oh, oh, you remember it, the Doc Savage Oath? Uh, no, oath? man, I sure wish I could. Mm. I had to bring it in paper. Oh, yeah. read it. I actually, I put it in your library. But yeah. it's, re it's very supermanish for liberty, justice, and the American way kind of thing. Oh, yeah. And uh, we played it. But it doesn't matter what the oath is or what little club it is, it's you're participating uh, in this e event. And uh, it is like this uh, being a whore host is like this American folk tradition, it's folk art. Uh, especially if you notice its regional roots, you know, and these guys were, yes. it was like the old DJs. I mean, the DJs sure. became like these little small town heroes. 
They would introduce the movies, be the host for the movies at the movie theater. They'd put on their sock hops and um, their community, their community figures. Community. Their community hey, figures. so so if they're community figures, why did I go to the candy store today to get my spumoni ice cream? Nobody recognized me. Well, I know, mm. but you're still <laughs> participating in this grand event. I only got third place statewide <laughs> master monster maker. All That's I got bad, was a little vacuum formed Frankenstein that I can hang on the wall in a certificate. That's and I sure though. wish I had it now because on eBay they go for two hundred and thirty nine dollars. Wow. Exactly. Well we had a Halloween we had a Halloween special last year. And I said, everyone needs to, we're going to trick or treat at Mr. Lobo. So just film yourself in front of your house or, or in your costume or with your decorations and, uh, you know, say trick or treat and I'll go to the door. We'll have the doorbell ring throughout the episode and I'll go and answer it and we'll show a video from, you know, our viewers, short video, five, 10 seconds. And we got them from people of all ages, all backgrounds, kids, adults. Poor, poor people, rich people, um, and 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 I realize it's like wow, people are just you know they want to participate so badly if you just give them that opportunity. Well, so we did the same thing for the Christmas episode where we just invited people to make short bumpers for us to to greet the holiday, and they all and 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 did not disappoint. And then we did another thing where I did a tiny video. It's only four seconds long, maybe five seconds. It's me coming out of my cardboard time machine. Going, I where, built, where I built one of those when I was uh, eight. So did I. <laughs> yeah, so I built my old cardboard time. I come out of my, no girls allowed, my little cardboard time machine. Mr. Lobo comes out of it on a green screen and says, where the hell am I? And I, I, I just, it's, four, it's five seconds long. And it's me on a green screen. And we let, I let people download that. And they could put it in there. They could do it in a photo. They could do Photoshop and just do a photo. Or they can bring it into a, a, a video program and put some different backgrounds. We had nine minutes worth of fan footage of me with dinosaurs, stop motion dinosaurs. <laughs> me in the weird uh, the Black Lodge. Me in, in, in the Black Lodge. Wow. Yeah, every, everywhere, every kind of weird place you could put me, the fans put me coming out of my time machine. And we and from a five-second germ, we had nine minutes of material from our fans. So, um, you know, it, it, it's really, that's one of the things that's been really neat about these newer episodes is that, you know, I, I, I've been really trying to activate the community more. And I think that the ability that people have, I mean, everyone has a 4K camera in their pocket. You know, yeah, um, so, you know, the, their ability to participate has increased. And um, the kids episode that we just did, um, I actually wrote some parts for fans and I sent a communicator to one of my kid fans. And so I'm, I'm on the communicator on one side talking into my wrist, my Dick Tracy wrist communicator. And on the other side is some kid in the Midwest somewhere talking to Mr. Lobo on the other side. And, um, cool. you know, I think those, those sorts of things that, you know, that kid, hopefully, that, you know, that will be an inspiring thing for them and it'll inspire other kids. Um, but, you know, there are other opportunities throughout the episode like that where, you know, I mailed a prop to a certain fan and said, okay, you know, you know Puddles the Turtle is lost. I'm going to be looking for him the whole episode, but he'll end up being safe with you, you know. So we'll film a little thing of you taking care of him, you know. Um, 
And so we just we just sort of did that. And so we got to really in because these kids are only going to be kids so long. That's true. You know. So um, one of the famous stories in Famous Monsters is that Forrest J would kids would ride in, and because these kids ride on because the encouragement of Forrest J. Um, mm-hmm. They got together and started doing little film nights and stuff, and they later on became the chief technicians for the Star Wars effects. Wow. And they started wow. off as famous monster fans that connected uh, through the letters to the editor you know, of the magazine. It, it's interesting that you guys are talking about that, because when I was a little kid, I read a magazine called 2600. It was like a, a zine. And in mm. the back of every uh, every issue of 2600, they they would say, take a photo of a phone booth somewhere weird and send it in. And if it's weird enough, they'll publish it in the magazine. Mm-hmm. It was it was a zine. Yeah. And they had they had phone booths from all over the world, in all kinds of weird places. Actually, I think I saw a photo book of yeah just phone booths throughout the world. Well, so even to this day, you know, I'm 48 years old. Even to this day. When I go somewhere weird, you know, I'm looking for a phone booth in a weird place, and I always, I still take that. I don't send it to 2600 anymore, but I take a photo of the phone booth just because it's a memory. So it, it does, you know, these right. things that you're doing, you know, it does have an effect. And you nailed it. The word you nailed was community. Yeah, it's all it about It creates community. a uh, community. And... Uh, that's what we try to do here on Community Radio. That's true. But, uh, you know, I uh, looked up the Aurora products are still on sale. It's a different co- company, but with mm-hmm. different molds. And uh, yes. although now they have models you put together, I've never seen Velma look like that. That's a different episode, always, Dave. It's not all just uh, for kids. No, Famous Monsters, uh, Universal Aurora try to come out with the victim. And because they mm-hmm. had accessory kits, and boy, it was yeah, that really dungeon uh, with yeah. the girl chained up, yeah. And right. they recalled that re- real quick, <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That was uh, there was a, just a few of those. The lucky collectors have that, but it, it does create this community, and it's it funny how. It's it's infiltrated and influenced our entire culture, but sometimes in real subtle ways. And, uh, wow, I mean, what kid growing up in the 50s didn't have a uh, monster movie poster on their wall? We all did. Um. <laughs> you know, actually, I had a question for you. So, you know, Dave and I were talking <clears throat> off air, and, and I was telling him, that, you know, one of the things that dawned on me, you know, I've known you all these years, but one thing that I never really thought about was the fact that, you know, the horror host as a as a person actually has to be quite an expert on American folklore in general. Not only is it a, an American folk art kind of thing, but in order to make the jokes funny, in order to make everything work, you have to at some level be an expert on folklore. Would you say that's true? Uh, well, definitely you have to somewhat uh, understand the, the regional quirks and regional stories and, 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 uh, and urban legends and all of that kind of stuff. Right. So that, you know, people, 
people feel like, oh, wow, they know the thing I know. Oh, how did he know this thing? You know? And um, so there is, I guess there's an aspect of that, if I'm understanding what you're saying. Although I uh, watch you host Ed Wood's Venus Flytrap. Oh, yeah. And uh, there's actually... A, it's based on a novel, a kind of a pulp thing that was published in the 1890s. Exact same plot. Oh, interesting. Uh, interesting. So, kind of grew up. Yeah, my thing was H. Ryder Haggard, she, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. but it is. It's, it's that, and I, I don't know how many times they remade she. Most popular one was the Raquel Welch version. <laughs> I think that was Hammer. Y- yes, Wells, well. Right? Yeah, for a lot of reasons, yeah. but yes, uh, Raquel Welch uh, did the popular version of She. Well, that is an interesting thing, and that is something that we do on the show, is I try to connect the new with the old, so uh, and vice versa. So if, if there's a trend coming out now, or a movie coming out now, a lot of times there's a movie from 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, um, with the same premise or similar ideas or, you know, a connection. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that it's kind of neat to see the history of these genres, these tropes, these things that just keep, you know, going in and out of the popular imagination. Um, it's our uh, new, uh, it's our new, it's like the Greek myths, our myths that we live by, mm -hmm. um, is actually what you're talking about. Well, you know, actually it's interesting you mentioned that because... It, it took me a minute when I watched it, but you know, I'm a, a huge fan of The Heart of Darkness, the book by Conrad. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, right. but when I read it in high school, I thought, okay, this guy's got it. You know, this guy figured it out, how the world is. Yeah. And you know, they, right. they've made movies of The Heart of Darkness. There's Apocalypse Now, which is basically, it's The Heart of Darkness. But I'm watching, at, was right. it Ad Astra? And I'm watching this movie, and I'm like, this seems familiar. And then it dawned on me, this right. is the heart of darkness. It's that same kind of trope that, you know, they I keep mean, even Bright of the it. Monster, I think, has aspects of heart of darkness. Yeah, and I've and I seen this movie where the ship goes disaster, and the kid is reading Heart of Darkness because right. it has to do with sailing and stuff like that well sort of yeah. <laughs> i mean up a river but okay. yeah but the uh he's the young kid working on the ship and then the older more salty seasoned guy you know that has the wisdom is trying to explain the story to him so it is a mm-hmm. recurring thing no it is it is when you actually sit down and think about it yeah we uh it's in a lot of movies uh we trace back the history of uh doc savage was probably the first superhero you know, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, it created. Yeah, when was the fa- when was the fan- when was the Phantom? Because I would say probably those two are. The, uh, actually, the they first. were both put out by the same company. the The shadow came a little bit before, but the shadow always mm-hmm. lurked in the darkness and stuff. Uh, yeah, you know, Doc Savage had all his gadgets and his fortress mm-hmm. of solitude, and his aides that his team, mm-hmm. you know, his Fantastic yeah. Four. It was actually there was five. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, uh, all the things that um, that are, would later be ex- explored by other, yeah, magazines. Sure. Right. Even Stanley said that uh, uh, it all started with Doc Savage. Well, the old pulps, Doc Savage, uh, old pulps in general, and and just think of what a long tradition that is, and how it is the 
the myths that we live by and how strange and wonderful um, it is interesting it is interesting in what you're saying as far as like you know the myths and and just people love stories and uh, and the and the wilder and the weirder the better um you know i've been doing my live streams on twitch and on wednesdays um i do a wild card wednesday and i show cartoons and stuff and i've been reading out of a children's book it's just um it's one of those chunky books it's space ghost you know the cartoon oh, I love space ghost. character it's space ghost and the sorceress of cyber three and it looks like they just took like an old pulp story and swapped out all the names of the characters for space ghost characters pretty much but but I've been reading this little chapter book to these uh, grown adults <laughs> who are watching me, and 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 I'm, and I'm like, well, I'm gonna put the bookmark here, and oh no, no, come on, one more chapter. <laughs> and I, Did you and, know, I and so have... I've been reading, I've been reading this kids book before the before we show the movie. I've been reading this kids book, and it's almost a fight to get to put down the book and put the movie on because they're that captivated by just being read to. Yeah, you know, there's something visceral. And I, I so uh, we try right. to recreate. Uh, I would read my chapter, and it was Doc Savage on the radio, and I had mm -hmm. a talk show. But I always read my chapter, mm -hmm. and we would get phone mm -hmm. calls from these old guys. I mean, this was a few years back, anyway. So I get yeah. calls. And he says, "I remember listening to Doc Savage on the radio when I was a kid." And, wow. Uh, and I go, wow, yeah, that's exactly my opinion, wow. And when you said that, I suddenly flashed it. Ernie Kovac, and a lot of different, he would have his ghoul that would tell the mm, fractured fairy yes, tales right. or whatever it was. Yeah, he, that was kind of a horror host or, or his idea of a horror host character, yeah. He'd take out um, the fairy tale book and then say, see how Hansel and Gretel uh, destroyed my sister's <laughs> house. <laughs> you know, I always took the side yeah. of the monster. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. That's told from the different point of view, from the monster's point of view. And yeah. uh, I God immediately thought of that when uh, uh, you said that. Uh, um, yeah, that's a great character. I love that. Um, God, I wish I could remember what the name of that ghoul character is. He had, the, he had the Nairobi trio, the yes. gorilla musicians. Yes. And, uh, uh, there was always some weird explanation as to you know, why they couldn't perform or why they were there. Or yeah, it's 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 a great world, the sort of off-center sort of world he's world he created in his show. And what's interesting is that, you know, I wasn't necessarily trying to create a world with Cinema Insomnia, but we've had so many weird, you know, side characters and guests and things and things we've done on the show that it's all created this sort of insider language. Oh, we're going to drink horse and milk in. Or How's Miss Mitten? <laughs> horse and you know, milk. There's Babs at the front desk and there's Countess Blood Sugar and there's, you know, there's all the these lawyer. different weird... Who's the, the skateboard? Oh, Rad, Rad, Rad skateboard attorney. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I would, and, and, you know, I was mm -hmm. listening to old um, uh, recordings of the Mad Daddy show, and he would, he would, he would broadcast from Dracula's den, and he always had the mad scientist things bubbling up. We should. And do that. Uh, it became 
a world that he invited you to enter into. And it was a strange combination of, uh, of the universal horror films plus hot rodding. Steve McQueen, The Blob. I mean, most of the movies, hot rods, right? Them right. driving around yes, in hot right. rods. What a strange combination. World's oldest teenager. Yeah, I, it's just... Is that what they call Steve McQueen? That's what I called him oh, okay. in Blob. Yeah, the world's oldest teenager. Um, but yeah, you know, the Blob's wonderful because it's so, it's the only horror movie where the, all, the cops believe the kids. You know, everyone believes the kids pretty much. Um, you know, there's a wholesomeness to the Blob, which is really wonderful. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it's, it, it, it's it, there's always a, I think there's always a tap on um, youth culture in these movies because, well, one, horror movies for the longest time were thought of as juvenile entertainment. And so the, the, the ideal, you know, uh, Samuel uh, Arkoff uh, had a formula where young kids will want to do what their older brothers and sisters do. You know, so if we make a movie in this, in the heroes or teenagers or late teenagers, you know, then younger kids would want to, you know, the teenagers would be, would want to take their, would want to go see it because it's about them. And the younger kids would come along because the younger kids want to do what the older kids are doing. Um, so um, I have in, this. in the fifties and sixties, the, the ideal patron was a 19 year old. They were making movies for 19 year olds. So when I was a kid, my mom would drop us off at the theater. My, my older brother was supposed to babysit us. And that's when all these wonderful movies had come out. And the only one that actually scared me, so he'd put me in the front so he could keep an eye on me and he'd go back and sit with his friends, right? And this is a mm -hmm. time when they're still having intermissions where they do drawings, ticket drawings, okay? Right. And um, uh, so it was the... Follow the House of Usher, where the walls start crumbling and bleeding, and the woman's trying to claw mm -hmm. her way out of the coffin. And he'd already right. dragged me. Oh, and there's these wonderful things where you wore 3D glasses when you wanted to see the ghost. Right. But, but um, it, that movie scared William me, and I'm, I'm, I'm making a beeline out that door, hand down, and, and all of a sudden something reaches out and grabs me. And I'm already used oh, no. to these... William Castle movies where your seats start yeah. vibrating and stuff. Right. They did these wonderful things when I was a kid. But for some reason, this one really got to me. And I felt this hand grab up and my feet are still going like crazy, but I'm not going anywhere. And of course, mm -hmm. it was my brother <laughs> that grabbed, <on laughs> and grabbed me. But what wonderful memories. And, and I... You know, I listened to now your weekly update or whatever you call it. I mm -hmm. saw your little movie yeah. and stuff. And you were at a convention, mm -hmm. some kind of something con. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, so those are Lots still going on, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. The Haunted Screams convention was the convention that I was at. And, uh, you know, again, people of all ages, uh, kids all the way up to, uh, you know, older folks. And, um, you know, people in costumes, you know, we had a costume contest, um, people doing a, a makeup, you know, people building things, building models, people making monsters. There were props from movies. There were cars from movies, um, you know, that we, we had the, um, the, the Dragula from the monsters there, you know, um, you know, it's, it's, it is really amazing to see 
multi-generations rally around this stuff. And I think it's, again, it, you know, they, people just want, they want fun in their lives. They want to escape. And um, I just thought of uh, Ernie Kovacs' character was anti-gruesome, by the anti-gruesome. way. Anti-gruesome. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, uh, but, um, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, I, you know, and, and we did, um, we performed with the Rocky Horror cast at night. Um, and, uh, we'll talk about we, your uh, participatory community. Oh, yeah. That's an yeah, immersive right. event. And, and, you know, and, and, you know, they asked me to be the criminologist. So I get to be the horror host pretending to be the horror host of another movie, you know, in the movie. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, uh, on, on, and it's not just horror films. I mean, on Friday night, I presented um, Pee-wee's Big Adventure at the Narrow Theater, which was about 40 minutes from the uh, convention. So, you know. Um, May he rest in peace. Yes. May he rest in peace. You know, people peace. like imagination. And there is stop motion and dinosaurs and all sorts of things. In yeah, that he was the voice uh, for the flight of the navigator. The, uh, oh, right. That's right. He was. He uh, was. Paul Rubens was the voice of the of the the, uh, the fly the navigator. Uh, he navigator? was, the, he the, was the voice of the, the saucer. The spaceship was a sentient being. And yeah. uh, he was the voice of that. And he kept malfunctioning. And it was hilarious. It, Probably my favorite Pee Wee or Paul Rubens show. Yeah, yeah. I still like Pee Wee's Playhouse. Pee Wee's Playhouse was great. I, I used to make a huge pancake breakfast and watch it with all my. <laughs> See, now, when I was a kid, it was Soupy Sales doing right. the exact oh, wow. same yes. thing. You could have lunch with Soupy Sales, he'd have his puppets, White Fang and Black Tooth. You know, when I was a kid, I remember. When I was very young, I used to watch Star Blazers. And mm -hmm. I yes. remember right before I think it was right right before right after Can I do my star can I do my Star Blazers impression? Go for it. Sorry, I killed your brother, Wildstar. <laughs> That's pretty good actually. Yeah, and all I hear is your that's voice. I, I can that's good. I, I can imagine it. That's that's almost as good all as All right, go ahead. Huh? Go ahead. Well, I, Star Blazers. I well, yeah, you. so I, I think it was right after Star Blazers, they had the, the Captain Kangaroo thing. It was like way mm -hmm. toward the end of Captain Kangaroo. Well, right. Uh, Soupy right. Sales mm -hmm. was the one that, well, that he didn't mine. invent, but uh, it always it's ended up with a pie in the face. And mm -hmm. he was way into jazz music, so you'd have the Rat Pack on and give Frank mm -hmm. Sinatra a pie in the face. I mean, it was just and he, like... And that didn't result in a mob hit? Uh, no, it was <laughs> surprise. It was the uh, Kitty Show back oh, then, and he was a jazz hipster. Um, mm -hmm. uh, he it was the equivalent of Pee Wee's Playhouse. It was his playhouse. You know, my my mom. Yeah, she she would wax poetic about. Um, oh, what was that? What was that clown? Bozo the clown. Bozo. Mm -hmm. yeah. Bozo. Mm -hmm. So one day I'm I'm up. And people and, people make those comparisons when they're watching my show, which I think is interesting because <laughs> I think the horror host is the the Sorry. horror host is the is is the is the equivalent of the kid show host. I no, think that's, I think a, that's a lot Zombo. of people. No, but, people but but you're right. Hit, hit that. I, it is because I talked to a guy that I work with now, and he's younger than me. Of course, uh, they all are, but. Um, 
uh, he said that he used to watch the horror films. I said, it had, had, we had to stay up real late at night. And my mom let me. She actually catty-cornered my bed so I could see the TV. And um, but he said they started showing them Saturday afternoons with some kind of mm -hmm. host. Mm -hmm. I don't remember that. Uh, you don't mm -hmm. remember that? Yeah. No. Although, yeah, I, a, lot of, a lot of hosts did host in the afternoons also. And some of them did two different shows where they did a kid's version in the afternoon on a Saturday. And then maybe on Friday or Saturday night, they did a, 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 you know, a more adult version. So Bob Wilkins did that. What part did he play? Captain Bob somebody? Wilkins was, yeah, he was Captain Cosmic. And he Captain did five Cosmic. days a week as Captain Cosmic. And then he was and then he was just the host of Creature Features on the weekend. And Count Gordeval did almost the exact same thing. He was Captain 20 in Washington, D.C., uh, five days a week. And he was also Bozo in the morning. So he was Bozo and he was Captain 20. And he was Captain Bo he was Bozo in the morning, Captain 20 in the afternoons. And then he was Count Gordeval. Uh, for creature feature on the weekends. So a lot of these guys who worked at the TV station, you know, they were doing double, triple duty. Like Bob was the weatherman, Andy was Captain Cosmic, Andy was hosting creature features. Okay. Sounds so much like radio, early days of radio. Uh, Very similar. And I think that the Silver Age horror hosts like Bob Wilkins and Count Gore, um, you know, they, they, it was you and Spenguli. They were guys who worked at the TV station in some capacity, staff announcer or, or production manager. And then they were tasked with the job of, of, of hosting stuff on the air. Um, Chili Billy is another similar one in, um, in, in the Pittsburgh area. And, you know, um, but a modern horror host, like horror host, like myself, it's more like you're an artist or someone in a band you know, um, where, you know, you're producing yourself and then you have to shop your own thing around and, you know, forge and, and hope that uh, a station wants to pick you up. You know, right now, my show's been around long enough. I have so many episodes and, um, you know, I produce my own show and I own my own show. You know, any nonprofit station can show my show for free and I have it up on the um, public uh, uh, public television, educational television uh, government television stations like colleges and um, you know community stations, they download it for free. We have 38 stations, broadcast stations still across the country that that show the show in that way on TV. Yeah, we um, need to get but, uh, Tuolumne County access to. Uh, so okay, now somebody, we, I know anybody listening to this is interested. So uh, talk about where you can people can see your show. Yes. Um, well, you know, I mean, if you go to my website, there is a stations page. So if you go to cinemainsomnia.com slash stations, um, it can show you state by state, you know, uh, who is, who's been running, who's running it. We've got several in California, and I wonder if there's even something in your area already uh, where you could watch it, because I'm looking at California right now. And there's um, there's the Pacifica Community Television 26. There's Petaluma Community Access Television. There's Sidewalks Entertainment, which is on a lot of different uh, community stations out there. Woodland TV, Create TV in San Jose, Chabot College Television. So I don't know how close or far. No, we're uh, real rural. We're rural. Uh, I picked you up yeah. uh, since I uh, talked to you briefly, and I wanted to. Uh, 
it just made me get nostalgic about horror movie hosts and the whole thing growing up. So I looked you up and actually went, it was channel 74 web page oh, sorry, or something where there's uh, lots of, oh, yeah. what's the name of your network? Oh. OSI 74. And if you go, uh, if you search Cinema Insomnia on that website, yeah, you will find many episodes there. And yes. also uh, other uh, strange YouTube. and wonderful YouTube. things. Uh, oh, yeah, many strange and wonderful things. And Cinema Insomnia on YouTube uh, uh, also, if, if, for those who do YouTube. And um, uh, and then there's, uh, there's a uh, Fossum, which is an app that's on a lot of smart TVs and Amazon Fire and all that. I think they have a, a bunch of my shows. There's a couple of my shows on Amazon. There's a couple of my shows, you know, sprinkled throughout. But yeah, the best place, the best collection of them is on OSI 74. Uh, I think there's 130 or more uh, episodes that are currently up there on uh, OSI 74. What's the what, website? What's the name of and the... And on the Roku okay. channel. Sorry. What, what's what the name it? of the, the Eric Miller one? Mark of the Dam. Mark of the Dam. You just, you you just released that one to the peg stations. Yeah. You, you can need, get you, lost on that station. You, you need to watch Mark of the Dam. It's one of the best ones that he ever did, besides In Search of Ancient Astronauts. Mark of the Dam. Whoever's listening out there, all three of you, watch Mark of the Dam, whether you watch the Cinema Insomnia <laughs> version or not. It is, it is a mind-bending Movie. Oh, you're talking about one of the films. Yeah, it's mind bending. I was just talking about that. Yeah, and it does have a little bit. And it does have a lot of like uh, Sax Romer and um, oh yeah, uh, Hemingway and sure. and Doc Savage and 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 uh, you know Blackwood and the there's so much movies. like uh, you know stuff lore uh, you know f- fantasy and uh, sci-fi and all sorts of lore all mixed together you've got Mexican wrestlers and rocket pack guys and jungle girls and it's, you know kung fu robots and yeah it's just all over the place I think you know a lot of cryptic stuff a lot of a lot of Lovecraftian stuff oh yeah. <clears throat> I think and plus the way he made it I think that out of all the movies you've done aside from in search of ancient astronauts which obviously, you know, and the Bigfoot one, which are obviously going to be my favorite, but I think Mark of the yeah. Damned is probably the other one. It's yeah, good. Uh, I mean, I mean, Mark of uh, that definitely fits in with your show the most. I would say the yeah. Mark of the Damned, and we did a two, we did two versions of that. We did a two part one, which were two complete episodes, part one and part two, and then uh, and then we have a three hour version that we released on Alpha Video, which is just one episode that has the whole movie in one episode. That's crazy. Um, and then, and then we have, uh, yeah, the Bigfoot, uh, Big, Bigfoot mysterious monster episode, which was really interesting because I was, it was at the bottom of our pile when we were hosting movies, and I'm like, oh man, I don't know if I can do that one. You know, that movie kind of scared me as a kid, and <laughs> you know, I had all these like, weird feelings about it that I wasn't going to be able to really do uh, a good show with it. And then we put it on finally, 16 millimeter print. Yep. We put it on finally, and it was like waiting for Guffman with a Bigfoot. Like, it was so funny. Like, every frame of it, I was laughing through the whole thing. I'm like, this thing had so much power over me. I was so afraid of this movie as a kid. And um, so it made it so fun to dive into it, almost like to almost slap back at that movie for scaring me so bad as a kid. Um, uh, So I had a lot of fun doing Bigfoot Mysterious Monster and doing it almost like 
Citizen Kane, only with Bigfoot. We learn everything about Bigfoot by meeting all of the Bigfoot, all the people that Bigfoot knew, like his hairdresser, yeah. his uh, you know his college roommate, it's good. his elementary <laughs> teacher. It's good. And and so that was that was really fun to to to, to learn about Bigfoot through all these. We got to get that film in here. I, I got it. Uh, okay. You know, in uh, we're second in California for, for number of Bigfoot sightings, third in the nation. Oh yeah. And this is a big, big foot community whoa, out whoa. there. We gotta, well, we gotta I, get you. I think you'd love that. You'd love that episode. And oh, then, yeah. um, and then, in ancient astronauts was really fun, also. And then I start drawing parallels between all the Christmas, all the Christmas decorations being signs of ancient astronauts. That, that's how that episode. Is. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Um, oh, lights on the roof. Could it be a landing strip? You know, everything <laughs> was like. You know. <laughs> Everything, all, all the Christmas of the decorations were suddenly activating all of my conspiracies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you. Um, you know, I, I think that that was both of those were really fun and uh, and and, they're, and and especially nice because I feel like that those kind of uh, endeared me to Olav and and yes. uh, uh, Olav is one of my dear friends. So yes. it was good. It was good that, that I made those episodes just for that. Yeah. No. And and actually, I have. The original box art painting for the ancient astronauts one, which isn't it on? It's on wood or something. Yeah, right? it's it's on a it's on plywood. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how to frame it. <laughs> I painted it. Yeah, I, I, I used to do all the art for the DVDs, and yeah. I would paint them. And a lot of times, I just paint them on a plank of wood, or yeah. or because canvas was too expensive. Yeah, it's on, but it's on um, wood. Uh, I, I liked how that one turned out. Because it's like a crystal skull oh, burning yeah. up in like a meteorite. Yeah. Um, and my glasses flying off of them and everything. No, it's, it's um, a good one. And then I, but you know, the art that Alpha Video does now, Al Landron from their art, from the famous Alpha Video art department, uh, they've done 34 of my episodes as wow. um, DVDs now. And, and the art is amazing. Like I always want, I always thought the Alpha Video art was always really cool. And the fact, the fact that my stuff is finally old enough and broke down enough for them to put out. <laughs> and that they can do it in that great art style and make everything look so delicious and colorful there's, like they do with those old movies. There's a, there's a style of art with UFO books. And back when they were like, mm-hmm. you know, just paper like stapled together, there's a style yeah. of art that I've, I've never... I've never been able to achieve or to find anybody who could achieve it, but they're mm-hmm. like line drawings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're actually etching to the, when I was doing the newspaper business, uh, it was halftone and you had to do the halftone. Mm. You, you had a lot of different cool effects using uh, the halftone. Oh no, this is like crappy pencil drawings. Uh, well, there's uh, the style like in those old uh, Edgar Rice Burrow books. Oh, sure. You have half-naked women posing with pterodactyls. <laughs> you know, I mean, that started... See, there, that's like this tradition that's uh, the full, yeah. that, that has been carried on. And I want to thank you for uh, actually carrying on a, uh, an American tradition. Uh, well, we're all we're all the children of creature features, you know. It doesn't it doesn't ever happen with one person. There's just a. I'm very fortunate that there's a whole community of people who who love this stuff. And uh, we covered it because it's a 
uh, it's a participatory event. People participated. They're just not watchers. It turns out uh, when I was a kid, there was no merchandising, and now there's just like... Oh, it's everywhere. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, it's everywhere, but I think it started with the Captain Company. It was the little ads in the back of the comic books and monster magazines and pulp magazines. It's where I got my shrunken heads. Uh, when I was a kid. Well, uh, the cap, the, the magazine was almost really, I mean, I mean, they made more money off of the stuff that they sold in the back than the magazine. I think the magazine almost existed to sort of, um, you know, be a catalog for a lot of that stuff. But that was the first, that was how they, that's how they, that's how they funded that magazine was with the, was with those ads. But it invited um, uh, little kids to create. And, it did. Um, it sure did. I certainly uh, thought I had my little movie collection uh, and mm -hmm. us kids would sit down and have movie time That's and awesome. uh, mm -hmm. reading those old pulp books and watching the, the movies. Um, uh, we, we, we would build time machines and rocket ships. Uh, yeah, I, hey, I knew this guy Bradley, man. He actually built a little robot that walked. Really? I mean, just think, wow. you know, like we had Lassie, you know, we had uh, Flipper right. was kind of a weird one. But then we, yeah. you know, these are like uh, non-human stars. But who, Robbie right. the Robot. Oh, no, I had the Terminator. Oh, well, to me, uh, my <laughs> generation Robbie was Robbie. Was he was he on was. every. Robbie was amazing. He, he was, was guest star and all these different shows well, they had to oh, get no. their money out of him he was an expensive robot so he was the he was on the hook for years they just kept trotting him out and um, he was he was amazing yeah, yeah, all the yeah. way up to more all the way up to mork and mindy and beyond you well, that's know true. Yeah, that's true he had his own tv and, uh, show I, and and, mm -hmm. and it was like uh the forbidden planet i mean that's oh, like the that classic movie. Yeah, that, that is yeah, that his first starring role. Yes, and then that is his first appearance. MGM built him for Forbidden Planet. And yeah. I heard that it was actually out of an old washing machine, the tub on the inside of a washing machine. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was a oh, Japanese artist. Oh, interesting. I don't know. And, oh. <laughs> yeah, but uh, he. He, when I was a little kid, he was like on Mr. Ed. I mean, he, uh, <laughs> Mr. He, Ed with no, Robbie he, the Robot. Yeah, he okay. guest starred on a lot of lot of shows that you wouldn't yeah, think that he, he would sure have did. been on. And uh, uh, he was a star. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, it was crazy. Uh, but isn't it strange and wonderful the American experience? Life's little mysteries, Dave. Yeah, um, I grew up with Robbie. That's my vision of, and there was another movie where the little kid, his Kino dad was, Shida. was the one who created that. Robert Kino, Robert, Robert Kinoshida created not only Robbie the robot, but B9 from Lost in Space. He made oh. both of those robots. Okay. Oh, wow. So there you go. Yeah. And, um, and they fought each other, and they fought each other on Lost in Space. Oh, that's right. They did. I, I yeah. forgot all about that. Didn't see that one. Robert Kinoshita. I, I, I learned that when I worked with Marta Kirstensen, who was on Lost in Space. I, uh, there was another movie Marta that he Christen. was in that Sorry, came Marta after Christen. Forbidden Planet. No, why, uh, uh, why extend her name so much? Marta Kristen. Sorry. 
Who is the lady who created the uh, creature from the Black Lagoon? Co-hosted Bobfest with us too. That was um, a creature from the Black Lagoon. Was um, oh gosh, uh, God, it never got credit. Yeah, uh, Julie Andrews. Oh, oh, who created the creature? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, That's different. Yeah, uh, 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 the the designer. Yeah, um, uh, I don't remember what her name is, but. what Weismiller? Who's the guy who got the credit? The oh, guy, uh, yeah, the, Bud, uh, Bud Westmore. He was a Bud famous, Westmore. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, Bud, Bud Westmore got the credit for it, but an actual uh, a, a female designer came up with the monster's face. And here's an interesting aside about the creature from the Black Lagoon: is they filmed it at the exact same place that John Lilly, the famous psychedelic guy, had his dolphin lab. And the guy that was actually in the suit and John Lilly became friends. And uh, uh, they came up with the idea of the movie Flipper. And the guy that was in the suit, the creature of the Black Lagoon, is the one who made Rico Browning created Flipper. Rico Browning created Flipper. Yeah, the (laughs) guy in the the swimming creature, not the land creature. And um, Millicent uh, Patrick created the creature from the Black Lagoon. She was an artist okay. who designed the, the 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 creature face. And who was the guy in the suit? Uh, Rico, Rico Browning was the guy in the suit in the um, in the swimming for the swimming creature, and then um, um, the other guy was um, I don't know why I always know Rico Brown. I guess because I interviewed Rico Browning. But the other guy is famous too, who's in the creature suit. Um, but it must have been uh, the swimming guy that ben Chapman, came up with ben uh, Chapman. Which one the ca- came guy, up with Flipper? Rico, yeah. Rico Browning actually became the go-to underwater guy. He filmed scenes right. for Thunderball underwater. He filmed the candy bar scene in Caddyshack. Um, he did. He was the go-to underwater guy for a ton of movies, and he created. He worked on all his under '60s underwater shows. And he created Flipper, and he was the creature from the Black Lagoon in in, in, the, the, in all three movies. And um, so, John Chapman was actually the got land version in the Flipper movie as, as uh, they worked together on that. So that was just a psychedelic connection there. You know, it's a, yeah. he was the true mad scientist, John Lilly. I mean, Rico the, Browning just passed away. Oh. This, uh, just, and you got a chance ago. to interview him. Twice, yeah, I did. I did. He, yeah, he, what a, what an incredible, interesting gentleman. I guess he worked at a hotel in in Florida, and Universal came up there to scout for their movie, and he showed them around, and then he just he just jumped right in the water, and they watched him swim, and they're like, "Damn, where did you learn to swim like that?" And he's like, I, "I just I'm self taught. That's just how I swim." And they're like, "Well, when we come back here to film this movie." We might have a job for you, and they, 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 they So they, that, that's how he got the job to be the creature. And uh, that was the same facility that Dr. John Lilly was doing his dolphin experiments at, and uh, that oh, was wow. all part of that scene uh, overlap. Wow. So, so he worked on Never Say Never Again and Thunderball, and did the underwater units for both. Wow. And then he were, he he were, he did the candy bar filmed the candy bar sequence for Caddyshack in the pool. He created Flipper. Uh, he did Salty, 
He did um, uh, just a ton of things, just a ton of things. Uh, and like I said, mostly water things. Hello down there. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but that's a really interesting movie. See, you're doing um, the exact uh, same thing as Forrest J. Ackerman did, that he'd interview uh, uh, and show behind the scenes how the movies were made. And uh, so you become involved that way, which is how I love, me in. I, I love talking to the guys in the monster suits, and we've done that quite a bit. But I also like talking to the old projectionists at the movie theaters. Sure. I like talking to the, the, the fans who are waiting in line. You know, some of the most interesting interviews I think I've ever done have been lesser-known people. I think, you know, I, I, I've never been that interested in, in, in interviewing A-listers too much. I'm, I've always been interested in talking to the people we don't always hear from. And that's important. That's the same thing, uh, you know, like the makeup guy. Not actually even the man in the suit, the guy that put the face on him. You know, or the yeah. people that make the props. So you're right, uh, I remember uh, when I was in college, I got this job uh, showing movies and was like, what do they call those movie houses that change the movie like every three days? I mean, uh, we always was playing Like a, grind, a grindhouse? Like a grindhouse? Uh, well, no, like one night, we'd do art films as well. Like we would do uh, oh. um, uh, the film to Salvador Dali. And then the next three days, we do the African Queen. And it was always changing like that, and I really liked it. But at, at, back yeah. then, hey... Uh, art I, house theater, maybe? Yeah, like an art house theater. And yeah. uh, the films would come in the cans wrapped in the belt, and we had two projectors, and when the, you saw the little light, you had to start the other one. But right. the projectionist was kind of like the uh, steamboat captain. You know, it's like mm -hmm. uh, you had a certain status, uh, to get right. the girl up into the projectionist booth. I mean, okay. uh, well, I was a college student. <laughs> sure, you know? I get it. <laughs> and, uh -huh. uh, but, uh, yeah, I could see that. All right, well, we've gone over time. <clears throat> I want to thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> a lot of fun, yeah, time. thank you for having me on your first show is quite an honor and i'm glad that we could we could we could talk about some fun things and, oh, yeah. and and get everybody uh geared up for for you know uh, participating and using their imaginations and and opening their mind to all sorts of weirdness and building community upon yes that. and we're going to try to get your show up here because we're not we're not near anything no, this is a real <laughs> rural community okay. yeah well, you know, if 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 anything else, you know, just we'll just send some send you some DVDs. You could just show them in a shed out there somewhere. Actually, I was talking during our break. I was talking to him about doing that. Yeah, because uh, mm -hmm. the ho local horror host would actually go to the movie house where all the kids would come to see the movie, and they would get up mm -hmm. and introduce the movie. They would. And that's like an old tradition from the 50s. And um, thanks for carrying it on, keeping the community alive. Thank you. We still, I, I, we, I still do that on, you know, this, this October, I'm going to be at a trunk or treat. We're going to show a couple of movies and right have a whole parking lot full of kids. And it's going to be a good time. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on. You know, you're on the East Coast. This is super late for you. So 
you know, Dave and I really appreciate you coming on and, and uh, talking to us tonight. And Hope. so, so is the, My pleasure, uh, listening audience. Dave and Captain T. So, <laughs> yeah, when I was coming over here, I stopped at the store to get a drink on my way here, and the lady says, oh, you're going to be spinning some records? And I go, no, we're going to be um, interviewing a horror host. And she goes, what what station is that again? <laughs> and she was like 20 years old. I it's mean, low it, power. It goes like yeah. 10 miles. <laughs> no, well, she's there at Save Mart. Oh, I yeah. say 1035. So we've had, I know we got it's, one listener. You found, yeah, that's good. Well, you found a good one because, like, it, you know, there's the one kid who'll be really excited. Oh, yeah. And then there's the other kid at the, at the gas station who'll say, What's a movie? And then you realize right. that you've got a long lot to explain. All right. Well, once again, you've been listening to the Enigma Hour with Captain Tiki, Miola Phillips, and Captain Dave reporting for duty. Reporting for duty. Explain <laughs> another one of all life's little mysteries. Yeah, all systems go. <laughs> and we've got on the wonderful Mr. Lobo tonight. Thanks again. And remember, everybody, you can hear us uh, Thursdays, 10 p.m. to, I guess we can say, around midnight at this point here on KADLP 103.5 FM. And make sure you look up Cinema Insomnia. Insomnia. Yes. And, and we're going to try to get Jerry Day from Tuolumne Access to start airing it. Yes. And you oh. will, Mr. Lobo, OSI74.com, CinemaInsomnia.com, Twitch, YouTube, it's all over the place. Go watch it. It's really good. All right. Well, good night, everybody. And uh, let's get one more. All systems go, Mr. Lobo. All systems go. To the Night Rider theme. All right, everybody. Well, thanks a bunch, and uh, good night.